All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT Network. Uh, speaking of which, we got a hell of a conversation for you tonight. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Ron Suskind. He is uh, one of the best reporters of our lifetimes. Um, he's also got a new app out uh, that is particularly relevant in coronavirus days, which we're going to talk about. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, writer, uh, also had a movie uh, on one of his books that won an Emmy and nominated for an Oscar. Uh, hope in the unseen, the price of loyalty, the one percent doctrine, the way of the world, confidence man. These are all of his books, a lot of which you might have read. Ron, uh, welcome to TYT. Great to be here, Jake. Great to be here. Yeah, uh, thank you, brother. So I, I want to talk about Bongo Media and the app that you came up with. It's so interesting. But but before we get to that, since we have a little bit of time, I really want to pick your brain a little bit on some of the news that's going on now and uh, and given what you've written, right? Yeah, yeah. So you wrote a lot about the Bush administration and then some on the Obama administration. Um, and, and you know, uh, you've had some of the most classic lines that, that I remember um, in, in all the years that we've been doing the Young Turks. Um, and it's lines from sources oftentimes, like Mayberry Machiavelli's, which I still use to this day. And I think, Ron, you and I have grown old enough that people are like, what? Uh, <laughs> right, right. Mayberry right. Machiavelli's, hell of a line. John DeUlio, head of the faith-based program, George W. Bush, uh, 2002. The first guy to really speak openly and fully about what was happening inside of the world of Bush Cheney. And it, it really was a... It was a canary in the coal mine as to what was coming. Um, yeah, so I, that actually leads to two quick questions. Well, I, I hope they're quick, but we'll see. <laughs> One is now we got Trump Tower Machiavelli's, and uh, and it seems like the Republican Party is disintegrating in front of our eyes. Like it feels like it's a Xerox Xerox copy of a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy. So Reagan was charged as not knowing uh, enough, and I think that that charge was probably largely true but maybe a little overinflated in his case. Then you had the quail, you know, you could throw that in there as an interregnum. Then you had George W. Bush, which is a very poor copy of Ronald Reagan, and now Trump, a very poor copy of Bush, which previously seemed unimaginable. <laughs> um, so as you look at this here, am I seeing it wrong that I think that this party is in a world of trouble and it's deteriorated to a point where it's nearly unrecoverable, especially given the demographics? Uh, or no, no, they just keep coming back with guys who are dumber and, and less informed and it and they're going to keep on, you know, uh, winning every other election. And, and this is the new normal. Well, you know, the great question uh, now is, um, is there even uh, a Republican Party left? <laughs> I'm not sure the Republican Party I've been writing about for the last couple of decades, much of it just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it morphed. It shifted into a new place. Uh, and then it said, now we're the Republican Party. No, no, we are the Republican Party. And over they went further and further and further. And I think now you are at a moment where they are at a point of extremis. Um, will this one hold together? Now, Jake, what you say, I think is spot on. We've said this before. I mean, in that piece in 2004 in the New York Times with the reality-based community, that famous line, the lead of it is that there's a civil war in the Republican Party. That's the lead of the story. Well, it took a while for that civil war to come really to blows as it has now. Um, I, I frankly, I'm still searching for bottom. 
I, you know, I, it would have been hard for even me, and I'm a pretty imaginative guy, and I've talked to everybody in the, in the fight, in the mix, to have imagined Trump and where Trump has taken this. You know, there's really almost not a reality he's even uh, giving any accord or credit to. He's like, I am just inventing this. This is improv. I'm essentially doing improv with the future of the world at stake. And the fact is, is that you can't take your eyes off me. You know, <laughs> you don't know what I'm going to say because I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm doing it right now in present tense. And some said from time to time, fellow uh, analyst of this time, is that the only thing that used to happen on television is sports. Trump occurs on television. That's why people, even if they are livid and hateful of him, uh, no matter what, they cannot turn away from the spectacle of what this man is doing uh, at the center of what has long been and may not much longer be the world's premier democracy. I mean, we are on the fault line now of a place we haven't been before. I mean, it, you know, it's like you know, Huey Long and Joe McCarthy had a baby gave them a lot of money and fake hair. That's what we have here. We're yeah. right on the very edge of what analysts up at Harvard or Stanford or anywhere that study the way democracies move to autocracies. They literally were sitting there with the checklist and saying, check, check, everyone is checked, every box. And right now we're at the end of what is often analyzed as the end of the first term of an autocrat in the making. They are duly elected at the start, and then you see the changes occur. And the key is, if they get reelected in that first reelection, they say that people have spoken, they've affirmed everything I've done, much of it quite controversial in term one, and now what? watch what I do in term two. That's where we kind of are now for people who study the way, you know, Ziplack and Levitsky and others at Harvard, uh, but around the world, how democracies become illiberal. And, and that's really what's at stake, I believe, in this election. We're on the, we're on the, on the precipice now. Yeah. And, and so uh, we went from uh, Karl Rove's line that you reported on. We now know it's Karl Rove. We didn't know back then. You, of course. Well, uh, we, I no, 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 no. We no, don't know it's Karl Rove, and I have, ne I have never, I have never affirmed the speaker, nor will I. I mean, I protect yes. my sources. Okay. So I, others have claimed it's Rove, but that's not important. Others have claimed. Others have, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That so, line was spoken many times by many people in the White House in that era. I'll just leave yeah. it at that. All right, I got you. So the important part here is that a high up source you had in the Bush White House said, while you guys are studying reality, uh, we're changing reality. So by the time you get to studying us, we'll have already changed it. So I have to admit, Ron, that I actually um, a rare progressive who respected that line a little bit. Um, because, yeah, uh, people who act in the world change reality. And uh, and. I get it, and I'd like to change this reality, that's for sure. Uh, and, uh, and there's a lot that we can do to do that. But now we've developed into or evolved into, or I guess devolved into, uh, from new reality to no reality. It's an alternative reality that where 2 plus 2 equals 5. 
And so we don't acknowledge anything based in the real world. Um, and so, but what's amazing is that the Republican Party, I mean, on Monday, uh, Trump bragged in a Rasmussen poll, which is leans heavily towards Republicans. Uh, so he's at 42% there. So he's in a world of trouble. If you're at 42% as a Republican on an Rasmussen poll, you're in a world of hurt. But, but he did brag about how 95% of the Republican voters are still with him. You know, give or take uh, five points, that's, that's been consistent throughout. So in, in, in a sense, were, was the entire media wrong about what the Republican Party is? So there was all this talk of, you know, the, they're for free trade, they're for all these things that their donors want and that they did as propaganda. But the voters themselves don't seem to care about any of that. And then, and, and then can you discern what the uh, Republican voter actually does want if they look at Trump and think, mission accomplished? Uh, I've, I've been trying to figure out the mind of the current Republican voter, especially that core group that supports Trump. Uh, here's what I would offer. What Trump does, uh, particularly adeptly, is he speaks to the bubble over people's heads and to the conversation that occurs under the table, what I call the vast array of the unspoken. There's a great deal of that that guides behavior, guides judgments, and and views and outcomes. We have on the tabletop public dialogue. It's actually turned kind of brittle of late, mostly scripted and really not much to, to hang your hat on. What Trump does is he signals to that, uh, that shadow land beneath the table. Some people say, I'm not saying, but other people believe. He is quite brilliant at it, at speaking into that sort of voce, that in, inner voice that often drives people's judgments. Some of it is very, very ugly nativist stuff. Some of it is just a sense of America's declined and let's make it back to the way it was, whatever the devil that means. Some of it is quite emotive. It has nothing to do with reason or fact. It's tapping into basic emotions. And emotions, look, emotions win elections. You know, issues divide, images unite, and often it's images that tap emotions and, and words that tap into that, that deep well of, of how we feel rather than how we think. And that's what Trump relies on. You know, he makes, he mocks the rest. <laughs> he all but mocks it. The idea that people view him as authentic, he lies like he breathes, is I think testimony to in part what we're talking about. They see him as authentic because he speaks to the real feelings people have uh, that they will not give word to. Um, and I think that's part of what makes him so very dangerous. He's not well, speaking the same language. Yeah, so at least one more here about uh, politics uh, before we move on to the great work you're doing during coronavirus. Um, you wrote Confidence Man, and that was a book not about Republicans, but about the Obama administration and how Geithner and Summers uh, led Obama in a certain direction, a direction I certainly wouldn't agree with and didn't agree with at the time. Um, so I'm I'm curious if after that book, you felt you lost a little bit of access uh, to power players in Washington or the media. I, I, I have no idea, uh, but I, I know I've talked to Thomas Frank, and when he wrote What's the Matter with Kansas, he was beloved and celebrated. When he wrote a book about what's wrong with the Democratic Party, he fell off the radar. 
And I and I I was wondering if you had any personal experiences along those lines or no? Not really, actually. You know, what's interesting is that a lot of the folks uh, who were the hundred. 20, 150 sources on that book. Uh, we're trying to get a message to Obama in a new way. Uh, they, they still remain sources. It was a tough book. You know, it was a book that was a really heavily reported book on Obama. At the time it came out, there was a big kaboom. But since then, the book has kind of settled into something of an official version on the Obama presidency. Um, you know, what's interesting is that, is that I see the title, though, now, it was used in a kind of careful tongue-in-cheek way, which is reflected in the book. It's about the nature of confidence, how confidence has become the currency of the realm. Earned, manufactured, willed confidence, though. And it trapped Obama, and it trapped many people in the administration. Wall Street lives on confidence. Much of the economy lives on confidence. But now you've got an actual confidence man actually in the White House. That's a that's a different animal. Um, and it's interesting because here it was offered in 1991, 2011, rather, when that book came out, it was offered as a bit of a wink, as a bit of a confidence as the coin of the realm creates certain problems for us. But now we see exactly what those problems can become when you have an actual confidence man running the country and guiding the world. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I actually think there is a connection there. Uh, I think that um, the establishment, as I perceive it, and Summers and Geithner certainly would be a part of that, uh, are more sophisticated confidence men than Donald Trump. Trump is just a blunt instrument. He's just an old school con man, whereas the establishment is much better at this game. <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> well, Jack, I, I let you say that. It's uh, I, I, I'm delighted to hear such incisiveness. All right. So uh, let's talk about Bongo Media. Yeah. So tell me about how it uh, came about and then and then what it's doing now. Yeah. So what happened was is it is that I pulled a project together um, a couple months ago, and it was uh, it rested on some technology I would started building along with everything else I've been doing uh, for Spectrum folks. My last book, my six, was about my son who's autistic and our life over 20 years with him. And we built some technology that was really kind of new. It had a, a certain a new set of architectures for how you can share video in real time with another person in a very natural way. And so uh, that we're built, we built that and it's being studied at Harvard and MIT. It's getting great results and it'll probably change therapy and all sorts of things for folks in the spectrum. Along the way, though, I saw what value it would be for the thing that I've been doing for many years, which is just basic reportage. You know, I write books where I spend months, even years with people before they become settled and comfortable and can talk to me like a kindred, like a friend. Uh, the problem with much of media nowadays is that it's so performative, presentational, transactional. And, and that is just thin, it just is. Uh, there's a lot of it, but none of it really gets to the depth that you find, I would say, when you talk to a good friend and you're talking about something important. You know how that is, we all do. You help each other think and feel and explore. I said, how can we capture that in some of the areas of greatest consequence in America? The kind of thing that would take me years to capture in one of my books. So we built this machine, we call it bongo, bongo drums, left and right, male and female. It only hits when they find rhythm between them. It's kind of the metaphor. And, um, and we said, we'll turn it first 
in a place of enormous import, the COVID crisis. And, and right now, what I saw in March is that I just couldn't even hear a doctor really speak. They were always being interviewed. And when, you know, when someone's interviewed, they kind of are performing. I said, I want to hear doctors talk to one another. You know, the kind of thing you never hear at the shift change. That's the real deal. And if I can capture their voices in this kind of conversation catcher, which is what Bongo is, we'll have something that will guide and shape public dialogue and really redirect it and get rid of the denial and the foolishness and the magical thinking. These are doctors. They're not public people. They're folks in the fight every day on COVID. So let's get them. So we got New York Presbyterian Hospital, I think the biggest in the country, I think in revenues, and of course the great Mass General, Massachusetts General flagship of American hospitals to jump aboard. We got 20 doctors from each hospital that are right in the fight. Uh, we paired them up into uh, 10 pairs of two for each hospital, and we started to follow them. Every couple of days they get on Bongo and they talk to their buddy. The key was it, it would be a friend. Say, so find someone you work with, in the heat of critical care or emergency room, who's kind of your buddy, someone you open up to, someone who's a kindred in battle. And they all found their partner. And then it was amazing what we heard. We got 150 sessions out of these 40 doctors, day to day, week to week. And that's a historical archive in real time that historians 100 years from now will use. And I said, okay, here's the key. Let's make it a historical archive in present tense, what I call a real-time showa. Get it out now so people can hear what the docs are really saying today. And that's what the New York Times put in its 5,000-word piece uh, with lots of the doctors speaking anonymously. The last thing is really crucial, though, is we anonymize the videos. We have a lot of very smart technical folks uh, with uh, sort of brilliance in, in coding technologies to anonymize the video. So when you see the video, you hear the voice, you hear the emotion, the tonality, but it's behind a mask. We, we run all this. We control it. It's not just scattershot stuff thrown up in public. And so you can hear doctors talking privately to one another as to what's really happening. And you can see how quickly they cover so much ground and go so deep. It's a privilege to be in there in this little control room with them. And then you know everything. So that's a new way of shaping public dialogue. It's kind of a combination of, of journalism as we've known it to what technology can do. And we capture those conversations. Right now, what we're doing, Jack, is we have uh, a website where we're gathering people from across America, doctors in COVID from especially the Southwest, uh, folks involved in protests, you know, uh, National Guardsmen, uh, service workers who feel like they're at risk. They're all coming to Bongo. They're signing up. They, you leave your name. We, so we get back to you, say, find a friend and start Bongoing. We collect the videos. Some will go out morphed in mass. No one will know who it is except you and the other person. Some of them, people say, show my face. We'll put out in public. And I think it's going to be crucial in this next five months. So, so what's the website, Ron? Bongomedia.com. Bongomedia.com. Go there. Sign up. We'll get back to you. we got a whole team. And you'll start bongoing with a buddy.
and you'll create a new kind of media. So who gets, for the ones that are anonymous, which is the majority, uh, who, who gets to listen or, or, or hear those? Me. Me and my team. Mm-hmm. You're as anonymous as any off-the-record source I've ever had. And, you know, I've protected hundreds of them through my life. Well, we, we listened to you earlier in the interview. Yeah, we uh, listened to you, and then we, and we listen to you, and we get back to them and say, okay, look, we think this is amazing. Uh, the conversation you had was so authentic because we call it the authenticity machine, Bongo. Uh, we'd like to post this. Fine. Would you like your face show? No, no. Keep me anonymous. Just say, let's say I'm a doctor in Boston. Not even I'm a doctor at a certain hospital or I'm a doctor right now in Houston, which is hell at this point. It's, that's New York of the future. Right. I'll, I'll tell you something else, Jack. If you want people, if they go to bongomedia.com right now, you'll see we have a 12-minute video of the two doctors that were in the New York Times who were pictured, right? That is a new kind of content. What we did is we took several of their sessions. We put it together in a powerful 10-minute piece of video. That's something we will be doing, too, for the best pairs who talk about what's most real, authentic, and important in America. We will turn them into this new kind of content and push that out virally. Uh, because in a way, these are the voices we're not hearing, the voices of us. We need them now more than ever. Right. So, Ron, as quickly as we can, what have you learned so far from those conversations about coronavirus that, that maybe we're not aware of? What we don't understand is that we really are in inning two of a long battle that may go extra innings. We're going to go through many, many chapters here. The fact is, is that America is going to have to change the way we are to survive this intact. You know, the fact is, I'll just say this flat out. What Bongo loves, distrust. What kills it, trust and unified action. We are so divided right now, the divisions will actually be killing us. And what the doctors are saying with such ardor, please listen to me. This is not a flu. This is a contagion. And it is merciless. And it's transforming all the time. Just get together. If not this, what could bring the country together? Because the only thing that will defeat COVID and in a way restore the country to maybe a better future is for us to be unified and to listen to what the leading experts, the doctors on the front lines are saying. They live it every day. They see us in our moments of hell and distress. And and that's the power of the story and the power of what's going to happen, Jenk, when we get more doctors in from other parts of the country, including states in the Southwest or some of the red states. The last thing I'll tell you, this is what's going to happen. There's so much that divides us. We almost never have a unified discussion in America. Well, we have one now. The doctors in Houston and in Phoenix are going to be singing the same song of warning. The same words the doctors in New York and Boston are saying on our tapes. And that's why they need to join them. Those are the voices that will help people in those regions now in present tense to save themselves through what they do. Ron Ron Suskind, uh, the website's bongomedio.com. Thank you. But, Ron, before you go, uh, I actually do want to show one clip uh, from uh, one of these conversations. So uh, and then have you react to it. So let's take a quick look at that clip. This morning, this uh, patient's family wanted to pray on the phone 
and like I cry, I haven't cried in a room in a while, and I cried. I wanted to pray for the team taking care of her. Sick of this disease. She's like young, whatever. I, I, I won't get into it for privacy reasons, but lovely family praying for her and praying for the critical care doctors taking care of her. And I have really not a whole lot to offer. Yeah, it's too much. And I think like, you know, I talked to friends who are so supportive and amazing in New York who are hearing like slightly positive things, like maybe we're over the peak and right. maybe we're going to get testing and then we could open up the city. And I just, and they're like, yeah. And like, as people get exposed, like if it's not, doesn't hit like pandemic levels, like hospitals will have capacity to take care of them. And I'm like, yeah, capacity was one problem and we have done a really good job of dealing with that. But like, yeah. but the disease itself, right? Like people, like it's like the flu right really smart people this yeah. is not the flu so ron uh who are those uh two people that are having a conversation there uh those are two doctors at new york presbyterian hospital Lindsay and kelly and they are um uh kelly griffin dr kelly griffin dr dr Lindsay leaf they're both critical care doctors. They've been at it for a dozen years. They know each other well. They're right in the core battle of COVID across a month in New York. And, and they, uh, they did uh, 10 or 12 sessions across that month. We actually have them mapped. And that's the thing I tell people. That's a little clip. The 12-minute video will change your life. I mean, literally, people watch it and they come out the other end different. We have three sessions across a month and a week, which really maps the entire battle in New York. The battle now other parts of the country are about to face. And from these two doctors, um, as they emote and as they think and search, as they ask each other, what do you think? What do you feel? What did you learn? I mean, this is more valuable than any White House briefing. I mean, I watch the White House briefings too. I drew more from this jank, and people do, than anything they've seen thus far about the COVID crisis. And what we want to do is multiply that out times a thousand uh, at this moment of crisis for the country. So, Ron, to, to round up everything we've been discussing, um, come full circle here. Uh, it, it appears we have two realities in the country. And so that's why I like Bongo Media a lot. That's why I want to talk to you. Uh, but but how does the media solve this uh, at large? Because um, there, whenever you get any kind of insight into what's happening in the hospitals, um, whether it's through Bongo Media or friends that I have that work in new hospitals in New York, Ohio, and other places, you get this story of, oh my God, this, this is an unbelievable epidemic and we're overwhelmed and we're all scared for our lives. And then the rest of the country seem, not all of it, but a good chunk of it seems totally oblivious. Like, like there is no pandemic and that masks are unnecessary, et cetera. So is the media not doing a good enough job of conveying the reality of the war zones of those hospitals to the rest of the country so they can see it with their own eyes? And if so, how do we fix that? 
Well, there are barriers to the media doing that. They can't get in the hospitals, but doctors talk. They're just kind of talking as interview subjects. They're not very good at that. And and the fact is, is that is that we need to figure out a way to get these voices out to the wider public. That's the mission, one of them, of Bongo Media. That's what we do with this new kind of platform. But, you know, I mean, I'm hopeful, Cenk, that, that ultimately America will say the truth is all we've got here. Um, you know, I think we're having a bit of a moment of reckoning now. Folks in the Southwest and the West and the South are going, I get it. I get it. You know, because it's happening here. You know, it's interesting. I'll just tell you one thing. One of the hospital chiefs in the Northeast said to me, look, Ron, it's amazing what's in this New York Times piece and these voices of these doctors. But around the country, they're like, that's another country. That's not even part of my country. That's New York, for God's sake. And I said, OK, let's get the voices from around the country to say just what those New York doctors say. And then we'll see what happens. It'll be spoken in the tongue that is your native tongue, your mother tongue of your region, people that you know and love and trust. And all of a sudden you're like, that's not them, that's us. And they're telling us what's true. And maybe that'll be audible to me. And there's no intermediary. I'm out of the equation. We post questions on this 10-minute session. There's no reporter interviewing them. They sit alone with their friend and questions post up and they answer them and they talk and I'm out of it. The journalist isn't there. It's people talking to each other about what matters most. And that's why these videos are so powerful. And that's why when they go around the country, when we do, you're going to have a different kind of public dialogue at a time of crisis when we need it most. All right, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Ron Suskind. Uh, bongomedia.com is the website that we've been talking about. Thank you so much for joining us, Ron. Really appreciate it. Great being with you, Jake.